Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here we go. As professional as ever to the sweet sounds of Kevin Bloody Wilson and thanks to you, our loyal Patreon subscribers and those who have bought our real rubbishy merch via swanneyandfriends.com.au. It's a special Melbourne Cup Week edition of Swanee and Friends with Dane Swan, with Samantha Richards (laughs) and special guest, the trainer of the great Black Caviar, but a multi-group one winning, premiership winning trainer in his own right, Peter Moody. Hello, Moods. Great to be invited to be part of the yeah, show. Too. Thanks for coming, mate. Oh, yeah. You know what you're in for today, right? I've got no idea what I'm in for, Sam. <laughs> Neither do I every nah, week. No, nah, so. it must be coming around a feature horse racing theme or something at Absolutely. some point in time. Yeah. Completely PC, yeah. PG. Well, what the other mm. thing I gather is that over a period of time that I've come to know some parts of this show, it's copped a bit of a kicking at times. And the industry that I'm involved in has probably copped a similar kicking in the last few weeks, yeah. so maybe I'm here to balance that act yeah. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so. Well, we're pretty much... Political. I've been away, so obviously, as we've yeah. discussed, um, so fuck knows what's going on. So why don't you enlighten me? Ralph? Well, what, 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 as in what's going on in horse racing? Well, you, oh, you've, so obviously, much. You've, obviously got an, you've obviously got a bee in your bonnet. Your small man syndrome's flared up yeah. again, I see, while I was overseas. <laughs> Um, the great thing is with Peter here, who is not a small man, but no, he's not. you've worked with lots and lots <laughs> of small men through your, your journey, because hence the, hence the jockeys. Yeah. Do, you, do you cope with small man syndrome real well when it's around you? Oh, listen, uh, until alcohol becomes involved, add alcohol, <laughs> very ordinary conveyance, small men. But that's probably in all walks of life, not just the, the pygmies that ride the horses. <laughs> it's amazing... <laughs> You know, it's amazing how big they become when you add alcohol. Right. <laughs> you know. Not wrong. So, uh, yeah, it's a dangerous profession for those that uh, drink and don't handle it, and uh, that's jockeys all over. So, Sa- Samantha, we need to put things on the table, Dirk Diggler style and Boogie Nights. What's your horse racing knowledge? I used to ride horses as a kid. Yeah. It's about as far as it goes. Sorry, Moods. No, we like Nothing. this. We no, want to learn I, know, I know, you know, the big names like Farlap, Black Caviar and Winx. Yeah. <laughs> Once and my horse was called I Am Sam. Huh? Do you go to the races though? No. You don't? Why not? No. I uh, can't afford it. <laughs> well, got it's a oh. very expensive day for girls, I think. Hats. Bit of millinery. Bit of millinery. Yeah, bit of, oh, sorry. Mm. Use the real word, Samantha. The yeah. millinery. I'm, I'm amongst, yeah. you know, regal company here. Mm-hmm. Dresses, shoes, tans. Getting there is always a problem. Well, if you got a free ticket, would you go? If I've always said that I'd go if I could get there in a chopper. 
Yeah, well, you can. <laughs> they go from Richmond, from Pump, yeah. Pump yeah, Road. Yeah, but I don't want to pay for there. it. Exactly, yeah. So, so if I can find myself somehow in a chopper landing at Flemington, I would go. Well, when's this coming out? Friday. Well, before Melbourne Cup. Week. If someone wants to get in touch with Sam in the next <laughs> twelve hour, well, I'm available. It's, it's all week. So Particularly if you're yeah. a weirdo. Yeah. 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 yeah well, I oh, do have to be a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. What weirdos? <laughs> no. <laughs> big fan. I did go to the Melbourne Cup the very first year I came though, ten years ago, um, with to, my mum. First year I came to, to Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Where, where from? <laughs> from Perth. All right. Um, my mum came and her best friend and. Uh, we got there not long before the race and we're like, oh, we'll get trackside. This will be really exciting. We're from Perth. We're from the bush. Never seen anything like this. Got about two people back from the fence right on the finish line and it started absolutely pissing down. So everyone put their umbrellas up. We ducked. I felt the ground tremble. The race was over. Sun came out. We missed it. Went home. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it? unique experience, Melbourne Cup Day in Perth, too. Bearing in mind that the three-hour time difference and mm. and back, at, oh, it's probably not so bad now. Remember the Cup Day hurdle used to be run at about nine fifty in the morning, yes. which made it six fifty in Perth. So if you go to the Perth races on Melbourne <laughs> Cup Day, you could get there at seven a.m. Watch the first in Melbourne, and you'd be there until the you know six o'clock at night to watch the last in Perth. Uh, You'd be full as a state school hat rack, wouldn't you? <laughs> I always full thought as a that fat woman's sock. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought you should swap. It's not the same day anymore, but Perth Cups on was on New, New Year's Day, day yeah. and Melbourne Cup being when it is in November. Mm. The weather's not always reliable here, so I just thought, why don't you swap it with Perth Cup because the weather's always perfect in well, Perth. Well, that's a bit of a contentious issue of, mm. of its own at the moment because we've had people from New South Wales suggesting that the Melbourne Cup should be put back till December, mm. which would put the Perth Carnival back on Boxing Day and New Year's Day, I suppose, because it's now moved to that November slot, mm. most of it, even though the Cup's still running on the New Year's Day, I think. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, listen, I don't know. I, I think care, so, Not really. I oh, think really. sometimes things have got to be visited to see if it would be a better period. The first Tuesday in November is ingrained into DNA, but if you go back in history, I think I read somewhere this morning the first Melbourne Cup was run on a Thursday. And So would the first Tuesday in December be any worse than the first Tuesday yeah. in November? Maybe, I don't we should, know. maybe we should do two Melbourne Cups. How would we go for the, the footballers who, who like getting, uh, getting into yeah, it? Yeah, well, that would suck. Well... Really I'm not a, obviously I'm not a footballer anymore, yeah. but um, if the if the AFL put the preseason back a month, <laughs> yes. like every like everything else, I think that'd be all for it. Yeah. So preseason, if the Melbourne Cup was in December and the preseason didn't start with January, I, I reckon you'd probably get a hundred percent vote from all the AFL players that. Um, Surely they could start at the same time and they can give you flick your four or five days or a cup week off. Surely. You'd hope so. You'd hope yeah. go wrong. Priorities. <laughs> because yeah. racing is a massive supporter of football, but then I've um, got no doubt in the world uh, the AFL would find something to run early December to try and go in conjunction with the Melbourne Cup. They yeah. don't want to seem to work together at AFL times. X or something might pop yeah. back up in December. <laughs> hey, just on, your, on your point before, Sam, because mm. you, you don't follow racing, about the should the Melbourne Cup be moved elsewhere? And as Pete said, it was brought up by a Sydney person. Mm. That it would be a really good idea, mm. and that would be like me suggesting that I should go out with Margot Robbie. Mm. No, no, it's relation. probably not up to me. Yeah, <laughs> 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 just a guess. You know. Very true. Yeah. I don't know. Swanee, what's your you. your horse racing passion or knowledge uh, year round or spring carnival time? Yeah, I'm a a casual 
follower of the horses. Obviously, like everyone, I'm more in, into it in the spring. Like I don't sit down the tab on a Tuesday Arvo and you know and fucking yeah. you know watch Geelong Synthetic go round and stuff like that. But um, which hasn't gone well for footballers yeah, traditionally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I sit there at trackside to one a.m. <laughs> doing my best. You trained any trackside winners, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I've seen McCullers go around a few times. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, so I, I certainly enjoy it, yeah. Uh, more for the, obviously, I'm not, if I was really good at punting and stuff and owning also I'd do it as a profession, but it's more for the social side and, um, yeah, all my mates enjoy it as, you know, footballers obviously have a bit of free time on hand, so they like to go to the races and do their thing. I'm going Saturday, that's why I flew home. Um, and the, the work was piling up that we've Yeah, yeah it works flat yeah. out Yeah, yeah. absolutely well, it, it is yeah. a great social event yeah. uh, At this time of the year And I'm surprised Samantha said she, yeah. she only went the once to ten years ago Because it is that great opportunity For the girls to To doll up And, and get out And things For the ladies to go to These days Are probably dwindling Somewhat in mm. You know To get done up And and have yeah, a great day out. Obviously, the weather's going to play a massive part in what you can do there. You know? mm. What's yeah. the weather meant to be tomorrow? It's supposed to rain uh, in the morning, yeah. but then a clear, fine afternoon for Derby Day, all being well. Mm, so, lovely. Pete, just on that, so you, you've grown up in a house full of chicks. Mm. You're in work mode, mm. but then are in spring carnival mode. Can you talk us through that, that sort of background? Well, my daughters are actually going to attend Derby Day tomorrow, so uh, they're, they're uh, looking at having a big day out. My wife would rather stab herself in the eye with a fork. <laughs> Uh, enough for the horses? She loves the horses, oh, but yeah, of yeah. a different persuasion. She's yeah. down at Bonio at the Australian Show Jumping Championship. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, no, she loves the horses, but uh, not directly the racing these days, even though she was an ex-jockey and, and probably one of Victoria's largest racehorse owners at one period of time when her husband used to be a quite a successful <laughs> trainer. What about yourself? Um I wouldn't go unless I've got something to do there usually, um, yeah. but obviously my involvement with the Channel 10 coverage, I'm very excited about that this oh, year, yeah, and yeah, so uh, I'm the diamond in the rough with Francesca Kamani yes, and, and, yes, and, and, and Maddie Hill and all them, I'm, I'm the, I'm the ocker. <laughs> now, I've got some, got some questions lined up for all of you, but just the, the, the hot topic, particularly for people like Sam or people who just... Uh, listen to this podcast for Swanee and for footy fans, but aren't into racing. The hot topic at the moment before we, we get into some fun. The 7.30 report uh, showed uh, horses being uh, killed at the abattoir, ex-race horses, and it looked horrible to everyone, including people in racing. But, Pete, your take on that. That's the last, only serious bit we do. Listen, it's very sad. Um, we live in a society where people are cruel to people, which is very unfortunate, and we see it on the news every night. So... There's always an element of society that are cruel to animals. You know, that's we take it as the norm. It's a sad thing. It's a sad indictment on society. Full stop. So it happens. The horse population in Australia, and I will be corrected on these figures, but I believe ten percent of the total horse population of Australia is thoroughbred racehorses. So there's ninety percent of other breeds and other types of horses out there. The ABC did an eighteen-month reconteur on a on different facets of racing and the abattoir led by an animal activist that obviously hates racing. I reckon his wife must have run off with a jockey or something. <laughs> in the early period. But That would be the worst. Um, <laughs> racing is the, the one, is the, is the 10% of the population that, um, you know, can finance probably the other 90% and the 100%. So what people saw, and I don't care whether you're a horse lover or, or not, it sickened everyone. It wouldn't matter if it was what it was. It sickened anyone to see horses that were disposed of or euthanised in that way. They were cruel. It was demeaning. It was extremely sad. But 
I really believe it, it was a minority situation and the majority of people that work with horses actually love the animal. Uh, they're very extremely passionate about it in racing and I live it through other parts of the equine industry with my wife and that involved with show jumping, my children over the years, pony clubs and, and myself being raised in Western Queensland where horses were used for stock work all the time. Um, but I'm not going to kid anyone out there and say horses aren't going to end up in abattoirs or knackeries down the track. One, a lot of horse meat is consumed as a human product a lot of, in a lot of countries around the world. A lot of it is used in pet products around the world. So these horses aren't bred for that purpose, but like uh, most other animals, there's an element of horses that aren't ever going to be able to be retrained or rehomed. A thoroughbred is uh, traditionally quite a flighty, you know, it's uh, an out-there animal that likes to move and get around, so you can't hand off a three- or four-year-old thoroughbred a bit flighty to little Mary, eight-year-old down the road, and hope she can turn it into a pony club horse. Uh, and a bit like dogs and different breeds of dogs and that, they're not safe around children. And the safest and best option is going to be for those horses to be euthanised. Do we just turn them out in the Great Simpson Desert and let them fend for themselves? That's going to be crueler. But whatever has to be done, and these things got to be done, it's got to be done in a respectful, humanely as possible manner. Does that mean the racing industry needs to take control and do this themselves? and make sure the vile situation that we saw in the 7.30 report the other day doesn't repeat itself, you know. I reckon you saw two blokes there ill-treating horses that probably went home and belted their dogs and their wives and children as well. Yep. That's probably the mentality of those blokes that they well, that we witnessed, and they did 18 months' work to showcase that in the front end of the spring racing carnival, which was very sad. Racing's a great industry full of great people, there's a small minority in every facet of life that we deal in that do the wrong thing. But on the whole, racing's a great industry, great people. They love their horses. It's a great economic benefit to Australia. It's the fifth largest employer of people in Australia, the racing industry. We're going to see the economic benefits here in Melbourne. I reckon it's the biggest economic event in the Victorian calendar year is Cup Week at Flemington. Um, so don't kick us to death because we're a gaming industry and because of what we saw the other day, it's a minority situation. The majority love what they do and love the animal they deal with. So are you still you're not involved in the racing anymore? No, I am. I, I'm, I, I race a lot of horses. I breed a lot yeah. of horses. I obviously don't train anymore, yeah. um, but uh, I'm still very much involved and yeah. uh, probably not as hands-on as I once was, but uh, more so probably media and ownership these you days. Train again. Don't think so. I, I had a run-in with authorities. Yeah, it was yeah. well publicised a few years. <laughs> Who hasn't? <laughs> no, exactly, exactly, exactly. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> exactly. I threw the toys out of the cot and, yeah. and moved on. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of other people out there and it's, it's amazing. It's been four years and it's flown by fast and there's a new era of trainers sort of dominating the scene now. Yeah. Uh, do, you know, Swanee, over the whole year... Hmm. We, we did a podcast with someone whose name we're not allowed to mention, but for the whole year, his work ethic <laughs> since he's retired from footy just blows us away. Can, can you just tell Very people what, so. what your... He's flat out. He's flat out. He works from home. Very I'm, busy. Yeah, I work from home, mate. Yeah, What, what was a typical Pina Moody week from the time the alarm went off and what time did the alarm go off when you were at your peak as the Victorian Premiership winning trainer? Oh, well, I, my day started at five past three every morning. Seven Wait, days at 7 p.m.? <laughs> Same. <laughs> my day starts as well. I've got something in common. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's not am, <AM>, is it? <laughs> 
My alarm goes off at 5 past 3 a.m. saying, fuck, get home, Dane, you're in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, it's Tuesday. Get home. That's what time my alarm goes off. Swanee hadn't got home. I I, I reckon I used to drive past him on occasion. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I felt like I was riding a fucking horse down Chapel Street. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> is that time something you have to condition yourself to? Do you wake up in the morning with a spring in your step at five past three? Oh, listen, no, there was no spring. Was, yeah, it was a part and parcel of what I did. And I, and I actually, four years down the track, I'm still waking yeah, up quite early. To get up now. It's it's usually the body clock. Anywhere from four onwards, five, six. <laughs> time to go to bed. Oh, when I go to bed. That's that's the good thing about my life now is I can go to bed when I want and get up when I want traditionally. Except like this morning, I actually had to be at Caulfield at about six a.m. to do a few shits and giggle things on videos and that. Oh, with, lovely. For uh, Ladbrokes. For one of my employers. and dancing uh, like Bruce and that yeah, for the Channel 7. Yeah, exactly. That sort of yeah. stuff. And <laughs> yeah. So that's only once once every blue moon. But so, but I usually wake up. I've got a little farm up there where we have my 10 or 15 horses, my three cows, breakfast, lunch and dinner, and, and their three calves, T-bone, Y-bone and <laughs> corned beef. <laughs> And uh, they take a bit of looking after. So five past three was the alarm? Five past three was the alarm. Uh, Cigarette, cup of tea and a good pee. (laughs) I'd drive to Caulfield, I'd get there at about 20 to four and have to run for the crapper because the cup of tea had done its job. (laughs) And and first horse on the track at 4am at Caulfield. So, uh, and, and the day finished usually when the last race was run. Yeah. Can I just ask? I mean, this may be an ignorant question. No, that's why what this so is for. early? As in, is that I used to ride my horse in the morning because that was before school, and that's the only, first time I could get it done. Is that is it better conditions? Well, there's, no. Well, there's a few theories on it over the years, but tr- predominantly, I think you find most Australian racetracks, and it's getting away from a little bit, are in the middle of metropolitan areas. So you want all the horses work and done and dusted. And, and going back not, you know, only two or three decades, 30 years ago, you'd drive down Glen Ira Road or somewhere in Caulfield, there'd be horses coming out of everywhere. All the horses are off course in backyards and they'd be walking around the street. So you wanted it all done. Secondly, another thing is a lot of people have a second job or another job. Um, so you get that Including out of the way. staff, track roles, yeah. etc. So you get that out of the way. Thirdly, you go back to the days when the trainers and jockeys had to really live by their wits, which was the punt. So they all wanted to work their horses in the dark so no other bastard could see them <laughs> and, and have that sort of advantage up their sleeve. Uh, so there's a variety of reasons. Uh, climate in Australia, um, you know, I know some blokes in Alice Springs used to work their horses in the evening because it was the cl- coolest part of the day and different things. But then we turn up at three o'clock in the afternoon and run our biggest races <laughs> when it's 42 degrees. So there's a myriad of reasons, but it is... It is slowly changing a little bit to some of the younger generational trainers want to bring in more worker-friendly hours because staff are becoming harder to get. And let's be honest, who wants to get out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning pick up horse shit for minimum wage? <laughs> We're not talking not university <laughs> scholars, you know. <laughs> Swanny? Yeah. Like not me, mate. <laughs> wow. Swanny's very on. busy I as I keep going, okay. I may have to. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually busy at 3 a.m. Yeah. From about midday to 5, I've got nothing yeah. on, so... <laughs> If you change your hours, I'll be so good. It, it used to give you freedom to do a lot of things with other parts of your day if it didn't involve racing, but then you'd hit the brick ball pretty quick at night, I could tell you. <laughs> and it's shit family life. Yeah. My wife raised our three daughters single-handedly because, you know, I'd, I'd leave at home in the dark and quite often get home in the dark or I'd get home in the daylight, I'd want to go and have a camp and get up and have dinner, have the shits on the world and go back to bed and go again tomorrow. So I've been very fortunate the last four years that I haven't trained horses that I've been able to reconnect with my family and spend time with my daughters and that, that 
that I never ever got the chance to do when they were growing up. Now for those who don't know, sorry, Swanny, but for those who don't know, two of your girls play in AFLW. Yeah, they right. t- two girls there, and you know, just little things like that, like standing on the hill there at Icon Oval, the first game of women's professional football, Carlton played in Collingwood. I cried like a baby. <laughs> There's my daughter running out in the first ever game of women's professional. She play for Carlton. Carlton. Yeah. Are they, and they enjoying it? Yeah, they love it. They love it. And uh, Brienne and her twin sister, Celine, she's in the army. She plays for the Bulldogs. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I love getting along and having a look and now something. You can, now you can be a dad for a little while. Yeah, I, I've never had that opportunity when they, you know, they were all quite successful, school sports and all that, but I was never there because the weekends were the busiest part of my life. Mm. So, All right, ten questions to all of you, right? Mm. Okay. So we're gonna, oh, God. So you start, Swanny. <laughs> Who who is the most famous person you've ever met? We don't get a button. No, low budget here, mate. Not first in. It's just oh, yeah, everyone right answers it. Um, fuck. Most uh, famous. Most famous person you've ever met? I'll let, I'll let, let, let Pete go last. Floyd. He might trump you. Yeah. Well, Floyd Mayweather, maybe. Floyd. That's that's good. Brooks Kepka. I met him in Vegas the other week. Yeah. Nice. Samantha. Um, I've worked for Beyonce. Beyonce's good. Mm. Pete, most famous person you've ever met? The Queen. <laughs> I think he's got Shut you. Shut your mouth. Well, really? <laughs> Actually, Have you really? That's a dream. I just got goosebumps. Funnily enough, I'm a royal. Hey, I got asked. I got, I got invited. Swanee's met a few queens over <laughs> yeah, the period. Exactly. But not the same. I did go to the Abbey in LA. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, was that something? Um, I did. Uh, I did. I got invited to meet the Queen. Yeah. Why did you go, Dave? Why the fuck would I want to meet the Queen? I have zero interest. Couldn't give a rat's ass. Um, <laughs> After I won the Brownlow, every Brownlow match must get an invitation. Like, I got – my nan nearly had a heart attack. Like, you get it in the mail? And I was like – Dang. I think I went to Kittens instead. <laughs> so, Pete, how did – to talk us through the, uh, the chat with the Queen? Oh, well, it was obviously around black caviar because Samantha a bit, bit like Swanee winning the Brownlow. If, if, if I didn't have black caviar, she wasn't going to meet Peter Moody. If he didn't win the Brownlow, he wouldn't have got yeah, the invite. Exactly. So, oh, no, listen, I'm, I'm front and centre for Australia to be a republic and I think we should be playing with our own balls, not polishing the pommy bastards. <laughs> so, but it's hard not to be moved when you meet someone like her and particularly yeah. she is a great lover of horse racing. How was she moving? So she was steadied up a bit then. She was, I think, she was ninety-one when I met her. Uh, so she loves a horse racing, and and she was very interested and and showed great interest in in black caviar. At the time, I think I said we got the two queens of Australia, black caviar and uh, Elizabeth II. That's it. <laughs> and just just in a nutshell, I know you could speak about it for a half hour. I, I was privileged enough to have been there at Royal mm. Ascot when when she won for mm. the week. How big was it being the main man there? Oh, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Well, she was the the main girl but yeah. yeah we'd never experienced anything like it the the media attention to black caviar and english racing had never experienced it either so it, it was phenomenal uh yeah you had to be there to be believed as, as you witnessed and the crowd and that they'd, they'd never seen anything it was a storm uh, that hit european racing and you know the one thing i did learn is uh, we had all the poms on our side because the only danger of her getting beat was the French mayor, Moonlight Cloud, who ran second to her. And there's only one thing the Poms ate more than the fucking Aussie, that's the French. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I've put a bump into him at the Cox Plate recently, a mate of mine, Tony Edzer, and I met, became mates for this Black Caviar trip, right? And as Black Caviar's going on the barriers, they flashed up on the big screen, uh, Federation Square, middle mm. of winter, packed. 
Big Tony's just burst into tears. He lives in Newcastle. He's such a sports fan. Yeah. That's that's the amazing imprint it had. Wasn't yeah, it? we had that on the screens at Ascot, didn't that's we? What I mean, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the on the infield, the big massive yeah. screen. So that was yeah. You see him at home. I'm standing out in the middle having a bunger and <laughs> looking at every bastard sitting in Federation Square, Melbourne. <laughs> she the best horse you've ever seen, or Winx, oh, or? best horse I'd handled. Yeah. It, it's impossible different, to say, yeah, yeah like, they run different. you know, Winx has just been phenomenal, Maccabi Diva 3 Melbourne oh, Cups, yeah. And, yeah. you know, her uniqueness was she was never defeated. Yeah. None of the other greats can say that, so yeah. uh, does that make her the best? Probably not, but she will always be unique yeah. for that factor, yeah. you know. Hey, uh, compare, I oh, just want this, compare the pair, when, a, when the Premiership siren goes, how much of it's relief? Um, compared to elation. Much relief as you're walking out of a Thai massage place. <laughs> <laughs> call, uh, the gen- call the gentle hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gathering uh, uh, an individual uh, face. Uh, yeah, well, I think initially, especially the way we did it, because we had the draw, yeah. like you, you probably first, you know, you think you see the vision of um, Luke Ball and, you know, puts his hands on his head and just like sort of exhales because um, he worked so hard, you know, the whole year or the whole career to finally get it. So in the initial feelings relief for like, you know, probably half a, you know, a couple yeah. of seconds, and then then it's obviously bang into all the carry on and joy and, and stuff like that. So, but that's certainly relief. It's you know, a day after or something when you finally sober up, you're like, oh, I can finally exhale because everything's so tense at AFL level, and fucking you know, everything you do is geared towards winning a flag. It's so tense and so much pressure on you. But you know, when you're finally winning, you're sort of sort of relaxing. Jeez, thank God that's finally happened. Yeah, because compare that. It just reminded me. Pete, compare the relief when you said, that's it, 25 out of 25, that's it. Oh, m- massive, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think probably one thing Swanee missed then was probably the scrutiny that you're under all the time. And, and uh, you know, a gun football team, no different to having a, a, a terrific horse. The, the, not only the public scrutiny, but the media scrutiny and, and the pressure that's applied by that. Different people handled it in different ways. And, and for Luke Nolan and I, I know, each and every time that Black Caviar won a race, it was about relief because... It's a shame it's ingrained into us as Aussies in our DNA that we all love our champions, but we all root for the underdog too. Yeah. So you think, oh, those bastards, you know, thank God they got beat or something, which is a bit sad. So people wait for the, for the top dog to get beaten, <coughs> you know, and if it doesn't happen, they jump back on the bandwagon very quick and say, oh, they're too good anyhow, mm-hmm. but they can't yeah. wait for it. So you always feared defeat. So yes. each time you won, it was, shit, thank God that's over again, you know, which it's sad, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it takes away some of the joy of the, of the win, you know. Were yep. you close to running her again? No, no, she was, she, well, listen, she could have raced on. She, yeah. she went to the paddock, you know, as sound as she had been in the last two or three years. She could have raced on, but, uh, you know, the decision was just made that, you know, she'd probably achieved as much as she needed to do. And, and the fear was the only way she was ever going to taste defeat was if something unfortunate happened. And yeah. then you would have got kicked to death as being greedy, money-grubbing bastards for, you know, running her when you should How have. is she now? She's up in the Hunter Valley. Um, she's had six foals. She had her sixth oh. foal about... Five or six nights ago, a little cult by him, or a big cult, I believe, by I'm Invincible. So yeah. she's six times a mummy, and, and her first daughter is actually in foal, and her third daughter is actually in foal, I believe, as well. Yeah. So uh, she's starting her own dinner. Do you got them? Do you own them? Or? No, no, no. I only train for other clients. So, yeah. Yeah. No. And this, this gets sort of into some areas that we might have spoken about earlier this year. I believe that you have to get a small stallion to go with her because she's such a big bear. 
Uh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want big and big together. Well, sometimes you can breed a big bull-fetted monster, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, no, listen, the, the, the sort of genetical, you know, you look at genetics and what's worked and what hasn't worked, and then you look at physical matching and types for sure, you know? Yeah. But uh, in Australia, the top stallion she's been to, I'm Invincible, the last couple of years, you know, he's a nice, neat side of stallion, probably well suited to her. Good to know she likes him. She does. She's been a bit of an old tart, but she's, <laughs> she she hasn't fallen in foal first time uh, oh, okay. uh, so on each occasion so it. much. She, she likes to pop back a couple of times a year. <laughs> so so you, you've got to wait 14 days for the first right. pregnancy scan. So okay. so I, I, I know a couple of occasions she's waited the 14 and gone back for a second lap, so smart, maybe she's, smart, en- yeah. she's enjoyed it. <laughs> so never mind that. There you've opened the door there, Pete. Swanee, what's the worst job at a footy club? And, and Samantha, I want you to think about the worst job you've ever seen. The worst job? The worst job. Well, being the coach wouldn't be great. Yeah. Are you what leading me here some? No, 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 no. I've just come off a month-long holiday, mate, so my brain's not working. Like, a, it's sort of, what's the, what's the when you, you got to work your way up, like the boot stutter or something yeah. like that? Or? Well, it's not the worst job. Like, yeah. um, it's a volunteer job, so. That's true. Um, so they're, they're the people that make, the, they're the heartbeat of the footy club, so I wouldn't say that's the worst job. Um, the For me, the dietitian. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. they went well. That was um, another. They were well, assholes. They're, they're, they're on the, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed um, my food. Yeah, worst job? Yeah, I was going to say. Well, property manager who has to pick up all their dirty jocks and socks off the floor afterwards. Yeah, disco. Yeah. Yeah. How, how would you How would you describe for people who don't really follow the uh, the breeding side of things? Moods the the the, the, uh, the teaser. The teaser. The teaser's usually a little. <laughs> Ten, <laughs> little 10 or 11 hand pony stallion that's locked behind a, a gate but he can get his head through <laughs> and sniff and lick and so where do I where would I Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, but where, one of, where would someone get one of those if they were interested for some reason? And you nibble and buy. Yeah. on a Tuesday night at Kitten. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question two. And get Kitten. to wind the girls up. <laughs> question two. But not get to deliver wealthy. <laughs> Swanee, Fluffer. complete this sentence. Life for me as a kid was. Uh, it's still going. <laughs> Samantha, life for you as a girl was. Adventurous. Moods, what was life for you as outback Western Australia? Great. Yeah. Are you, are you Outback WA too? I think it was no, sorry, Outback Western Queensland. Yeah, yeah. Great. No, no, great. Tremendous. Yeah, no. Had a great 
childhood. And, and I, I believe you've got a pretty strong theory about the, the kids being morally coddled compared to a foot up the date, just see so you oh, see you time. Yeah, oh, shit, yeah. Like my old man and then my stepfather, like they used to pull you here and boot me ass. And you say, what was that for? He said, it's not what you might have done, it's what you're going to do. <laughs> I want to be one in front, you know. Oh, did it piss you off? You walk down. This sounds like now we're sounding like Mike Don and, and uh, Sam Newman's show, but you walk down you walk down the aisle at a new market and there's a turd of a kid yeah. putting on a show and you think, just give that kid a smack on the ass and pull it into line. But then that's child abuse and this and that, and then they wonder why they've got no respect for authority and, and law and order and that. Bad like the, the bastards moment. need knocking so down a few bad. times. Your thoughts on kids not ca- keeping score and that? In under tens and under twelves. Yeah, what about that? Yeah. <laughs> Fair dinkum. Like, <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, I used to play. We used to have to play this in con- con- the convent school over the road. There's only two schools in Chelmsford. They used to flog the piss out of us at footy. <laughs> yeah. Every Saturday afternoon. Well, it didn't diminish my will and what. You know, it probably made me more determined. Yeah, exactly. Down the track, like that's a heap of shit in it. Like, yeah. You know, tree hugging, long haired. Here we are. Flashbacks, Samantha, of, of some of the girls you might have to deal with. At, at oh, it's ridiculous. Well, this is, it's something I'm very, uh, I believe, very it's strongly. In. What you do. I think I, I teach kids to dance. Tap dance. I've just seen the racing plates in the thing there. Correct. <laughs> I was sing thinking dance. about trying to get them on my big toe. <laughs> well, they're, they're too big for me, those ones. But I, I read a sign somewhere that said complacent parenting breeds complacent adults. And it's so true because we mollycoddle these kids. To that, that mediocre is okay. Guess what? They're going to be mediocre when they grow up. Mm. Like I remember as a kid, even as a dancer, to to make it relevant, I was you always want to be front and center, but the best kids there. Yeah. So you stay back and you do your splits or you t- try your turns. Like you work harder so that you can get in the front row. Mm. And when you do get in there, you get a sense of pride and elation, and you've worked hard and it's paid off. These days, if the child's not, we have to rotate lines. Why, your child? Doesn't Sucks. remember what so she's fuck doing. Off. Get in the back till I get any better. <laughs> he or she. Yeah. But the thing is, the reason you put the good kids in the front as well is so that I, if I was a parent I, and my child wasn't great, I'd want them in the seconds line so that they can copy or like see mm. what they're doing. If you put those kids in front that don't know what they're doing, they're going to make the whole routine worse because the kids behind are going to get confused. Put the best ones in the front, and they have something to aspire to be. But we get phone calls and emails, and my child's not in the front, yeah, because. She's shit. Yeah, no, it's it's a sad, it's a sad thing. The world's there. fucked, Pete. That's what it is. The world is fucked. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's sad, and this is why they have no sense of, you know, uh, achievement. You know, everything's handed to Correct. the bastards. You know, they've got to get out and work. I guess yeah. eighteen think they're all going to play AFL, think they're all going to do everything, yeah. and they go, "Well, why am I being drafted again? Because you can't kick." Yeah, you, you shit. Like, you get, that's why you've been told you get participation yeah, laws. Exactly right. I, I read a thing on the. On one of those social pages yesterday, where the the young girl from Norway or whatever that spoke in the Greta. Belgium, yes. Greta, she's great. You know, it said we're going to start a revolution. Then it had a World War Two American soldier said, "How the fuck are you going to start a re- revolution? You won't work a forty hour week. <laughs> don't know whether you're a he, she, or a fucking it, and uh, n- and uh, not sure something about being a vegan on the bottom of it. But the way in context, I can't remember. It was sensational. You know, you know." What are we teaching them to become? And very be true. Very entitled, everyone. Very is. entitled. Given, given to your daughters are elite footballers, uh, where do they get their drive from, do you think? Oh, I think we've always, they've probably watched their mother and father with a competitive yep. nature, certainly me and my business, but we encourage them to do well. But we, we also, you know, 
We didn't, we didn't moddy coddle them. Yep. You know, it, it's a bit like if I go to the, watch the girls play football now and they say, what do you think, Dad? So I think, listen, I think you had a shit game. <laughs> it's no good this, every, you know, every kid walks off and the coach yeah. says, oh, well done, Dad, well done, yeah. Dad. Well, that's a heap of shit. Yes. They couldn't have fucking all done well <laughs> because they got, cause they got beat 40 points. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, say good effort. Yes. But... Hang on, we're going to work Do on better. this, this, and this. You, you win know? all you learn. You win all you learn. That's yeah. exactly right, Dane. Uh, question three. If New York has the Empire State Building, what was the Empire State Building of where you grew up? In other words, I grew up in Caulfield. Caulfield, <laughs> Race, Caulfield Racecourse was my Empire yeah. State yeah. Building. West Meadows? The, the Gladdy Park Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Sam? Okay, so the town that I grew up in was in Bush, WA, and yeah. it had a, a population of about 400 people yep. at last census. So the, I guess, main feature was either the polo cross grounds yep. or the footy ground, which is also the tennis court, which is also the netball club, which is also the town hall, which is also the play group, which is also everything Perfect. in one building. There was only three communal buildings in the whole well, one of them was a shit house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you grew up in a city. I grew up in a town called Wyandra that had a com- com- population of about 25 and the two biggest buildings in town were the school. Yeah. Uh, I think the one year there we had 20 students and 11 of them were Moody's. <laughs> so the, school, the school's in Moody Street. So no kissing behind the library no. that's cool. But it was, uh, no, well, funny thing, the sh- uh, shearing shed in town, that was my dad's, part of one of my dad's stations, the shearing shed and the, and the Gladstone Hotel where dad unfortunately spent too much of his time <laughs> and drank, drank the shearing shed over the road. <laughs> uh, pick a significant woman in your life, it's up to you, and how would she describe you in one sentence? Oh fuck! Um, <laughs> my mother would um, <laughs> describe me as perfect. There you go, Sam. My mother would say, "I'm a frustrating pain in her ass, and where are her grandchildren?" <laughs> Pete, uh, no, well, I'm with Swanee there. It's got to be Mum, isn't it? Yeah, Mum. Uh, yeah, Mum loves their boys, whatever. And I'm six years yes. the junior <laughs> of my. Th- Three older sisters are the youngest, so I'm oh, the baby. I'm mum's boy, so yeah, got to say mum. Yeah. Mums do love boys more than girls, I reckon. Huh? Yes, especially in my family. Cause my that's brother because we're better. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, they just realise there's no hope. My brother could literally murder a baby in front of my mum, and she'd go, "Do you need me to wash your hands, Tom?" I tried to. <laughs> Little fucker wouldn't go. <laughs> uh, most admired person you've met. Dead or alive? Most what? Uh, sorry, most of my person you've met, most admired person you haven't met, dead or alive. So you have someone most that admired. is admired. Yeah, someone you brain or pretzel. Well, so, so it's um, in two parts that you have met, that you really admire, oh, and that you haven't met. My dad, parents, obviously. Yep, uh, and I haven't met. Who would you like to have met? I don't. I don't know one. I don't really care. That's right. That's an answer. Oh, this is a tough question. <clears throat> Someone that I've met that I admire is yeah. my mother. Yeah. Definitely. Um, someone that I would like to meet, probably someone like Richard Branson. Someone like him or him? Well, probably him, I'd yeah. say. I met him. Yeah, of course On you a have. a very good show called Sam and the Fat Man. <laughs> <laughs> Were you the fat man? <laughs> Thanks, but no. <laughs> Very important. Damn. Uh, he was Oops. and. <laughs> Swanee and friends yeah, It seems yeah. to be a common I'll, theme I'll with you Ralphie yeah, Exactly uh, Most admired Oh shit I'm going to stay sweet at home here And say mum and my wife Yes uh, My mother through a lot of adversity 
earlier in her life to, to raise children uh, with an alcoholic husband and uh, my wife, uh, you know, given me three beautiful girls and 25 years of marriage, she's put up with a fair bit of shit too. What a woman. Um, I'm a bit of a war buff and war historian. I think the greatest Australian ever born was a bloke called Sir John Monash. He was actually one of the father, forefathers of Melbourne. They got freeways and universities. But he single-handedly turned the tide, basically, of World War I at Villiers Bretner. But because he was a German Jew, he received no recognition of it because of the fucking apple-in-the-throat poms that were running the fucking country at the time. <laughs> so he's probably the greatest Australian that's ever walked. Yep. Well, I'm In part, <laughs> turned World War I from a defeat into a victory. And... Never ever received due recognition. I've got a problem with John Monash because mm. he's his freeway's fucked. Yeah, he <laughs> would turn in his when, grave when he made that freeway. You fucking think of the millions of people that are in this country, in this state. And he would turn in his grave yeah, that, seeing that being a fucking car park yeah. and them naming it after him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hearing that, Swanny, do you, do you know anyone uh, who has been big in your life who's a military nut? Uh, are you, I don't know. As in your coach? Uh, Mick. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, he's a he was big. So yeah. Mick Moldhouse was always... In, and uh, you, you and him would be get off... Isn't like Clarkson, doesn't he send all his boys up to Kokoda each yeah. year or something, the new <laughs> recruits? Yeah, I think so. That's one of the greatest that? things you can do as an Aussie. Go mm. and walk have you done that? Sorry. Yeah, I have walked yeah. to Kokoda. I would actually like, like to do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, phenomenal. Phenomenal. One of the most liberating experiences ever. How, how far and how long? Did you, we, did you? A, we did the 110k walk. I did it with a group of boys headed by Timmy Bull, the MP for East Gippsland. Oh, yeah. And we did the 110k seven nights. Listen, some of people run it in two days, but what the <laughs> fucking sense of that? You know, don't take anything in. Yeah. And we did it in seven nights and just, if you stand there on the plateau at Usarava and look out over the Kokoda Valley, you know, it, it was phenomenal. And, and, so you know, you got 300 blokes from East Gippsland against 15,000 of the best trained fucking soldiers in the world. The Japanese come at them. These mm. blokes had fucking broomsticks and the Japs had machine guns and they held mm. them off yeah. and, and basically saved our way of life. So how'd they get the Ritz-Carlton halfway through the Kokoda? <laughs> so, that's what, what, so how many hotels are along the way? No, no hotels. Pardon? No, no hotels, no. Nah. None? Or nah, where the fuck nah. do you sleep? <laughs> What do you sleep? No. If you chew on a bit of that fucking beetle nut, you might think you might think you're in the Ritz Carlton. <laughs> well, okay, let me tell you. Would you do it, Dane? Would you do it? Well, if they whip up a couple of hotels, you know, there's an escalator, a travel later. Oh, mate! If you got a sponsor. Yeah, well, nothing. Well, I said, I'm available. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for an earn. Um, I bet I get asked to do it all the time. Uh, I don't know. Maybe one day. You not. would Maybe love we'll take it. You and would love on the road. it. I'm not a big walker. No, Pete. neither. Am I. Well, I smoke two packets <laughs> of bungers a day. I have three ruckman every night when I'm cooking dinner. <laughs> I'm not a fucking picture of health, and I did it. And I'm Is actually, it hard? Oh, fucking hard! <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, unbelievable. But you, you get an unbelievable feeling of um, you've achieved or, or something. You know, you really do. Just to walk in the Shoes of what those poor bastards went through a mm. hundred years ago. It's or actually deplorable, isn't it? The conditions years that ago. they were in. Oh, it's amazing! It, it, it was only eighty it, years ago. There was a world like a war like that. Yeah, and so close to home. So, yeah. but just to be there and and uh, t- to you know those kids up there, I tell you what, that's amazing. You go up there into those schools and that in the Highlands of mm. the Papua New Guinea and that and the and the skills, the ball skills. You can throw them a golf ball, a tennis ball, a football, or a soccer ball, and what they. Can do with it, it's just mind-boggling. Yeah, they don't have iPads. They, they won the um, <laughs> in, they won the Indonesian Cup. They won the 
Oh, oh, Asian there? Championships, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, freaks. Yeah, I went over there with the Indonesian yeah. volcanoes, the Papua New Guinea boys. They, they won the whole thing. They flogged them. Jeez, they were athletic. And so happy with so little. Yeah. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, and tell me this, um, just off the track, but on what you're talking about. Off the about. track? Or yeah. <laughs> pardon the pun. Um, so I grew up as a, as a Jewish boy with my grandparents. Unbelievable how they managed to escape the Nazis. Yeah. And didn't really have anything to do with it through my adult years and about three months ago I went to Poland, went to Auschwitz yeah. and all that and it just blew me away. And But having, so I had the, the knowledge but being there was a different set, set up. You travelled right around Europe as well, didn't mm. you? When with And how much did that military understanding help you appreciate when you did travel? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm not a bloodthirsty, warmonging person. All I'd ever done is from an ANZAC perspective, Australia, New Zealand, so walk the Western Front, Gallipoli, Crete, Cyprus... I haven't got to North Africa or to Palestine, which I'd love to, but I've got to be honest, I haven't got the balls to fucking go there. But, you know, I think it's it's a massive part of what we are today. And Anzac history is, you know, we're only a young country and unfortunately war's been a big part of it. And right up to Vietnam and the shit that goes on in Afghanistan and those places today, Australia has an unbelievable history for such a young country in war. And just as to celebrate what those blokes have done. You know, you stand at Sausage Valley of the Somme and, the, and there's a cemetery of 4,000 young men, average age of 19, you know, that thought they were going Crazy on right. an adventure and all that. Mm. And that's, that was to preserve the lifestyle that we have here today. It's being fucking eroded mm. a hell of a lot by the shit element that they let into this wonderful fucking country. But what those blokes did for our lifestyle, you know, that is to be uh, commended and revered. And, and it's great to see around Anzac Day now, we've had a resurgence of the young population, you know, celebrating, it, it seems a wrong word to say in celebrating war, but celebrating what those men did for sacrifice. our lifestyle. The sacri- celebrating the sacrifice it would be yeah, a yeah. good way of putting it. I saw it. something not long ago, actually, it was... Uh not a movie, not a documentary, kind of somewhere in the middle, about back, uh, I think it was World War Two when all of these young boys and they were had, had spent their whole schooling years working so hard to get into these prestigious colleges and universities and they got in there and then England's war at war out. and they were super excited but then when you actually kind of zoom in on them, they were excited to go to war, proud that they were fighting for their country, but deep down absolutely petrified. They knew that they oh. probably weren't coming home and the life that they have built so far was going to be gone like that because realistically most of them didn't come home. Yeah. The horrors of Sorry. war are, you know, are sickening, but mm. to go and witness it in some small way, shape, way, shape or form, you know, it's, it, it's, very, very, uh, it's a very moving experience. You know, to be at uh, Anzac Cove on, when the sun's mm. coming up, you know, and we shit. do that in comfort, right? We do that with oh. our with our blankets and you know, yeah. and food. We're well fed. We're warm. These it's a bit like children. Well, Swanee wants a rich Colton on the Kokoda track. Like, <laughs> yeah, well. like those blokes didn't have an ass in their fucking pants and didn't have a bullet to put up the spout of their gun, they but they had sick. to keep marching towards machine guns. Exactly yeah, right. my girl shits when I got my feet get wet when I step in a, when I step <laughs> when I step in a puddle. Foot? Yeah, when I got my right. socks were wet. I imagine doing that. As you've spoken about earlier this year, but, uh, but well, Pete's here. The, the, it is one of the real in your DNA as a Collingwood player. The, the privilege Anzac of playing oh, absolutely, day. it's incredible. Oh, yeah. um, it's not lost on on us. Um, you know the importance and the, you know the I guess the significance of playing on such an important day in in Australia's history. So, mate, it's incredible. It's you know, and whether you hate whether you hate Essendon or you hate Collingwood, growing up, some you want to be drafted to a big club because like, you get to play on such a special day. And like mm. I always say, if you don't bag for the two sides, at least go. 
for the day, mm-hmm. enjoy the or the ceremony stuff, then fuck off ten minutes into the game if you don't. But just to be there, um, it's a, and obviously I've had the best seat in the house, you know, ten, twelve times I've got to play on it. But it's a very incredible day, and um, you know, it's not lost on us the significance, the importance of how great the day is, and um, everyone comes together, and um, it's usually played in the right way, and the crowd usually, you know, cheer and support in the right way. So it's it's an unbelievable day. And it's probably one day of the year which I. I miss really, as a player. That's yeah. that, that's what hurts you the most. Yeah. not not yeah. actually the game, yeah. but like the yeah. standing out there in the ground, and then like after the last post and that gets played, the crowd goes up and you get together and no, you clearly should never compare anything to war because it's fucking you know it's ridiculous. But you know going to to battle with your twenty one other teammates against our biggest rival is uh, is awesome. We do it at Storm. We do it in Storm versus New Zealand, yeah, yeah. the Warriors. Mm. Across the road, and it's pretty good as well. But we don't really want to go to war these days because kids would call in sick and expect a certificate <laughs> at the end, wouldn't they? Exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, and they'd want vegan meals <laughs> <laughs> and all that yeah. sort of shit, you know. But un- unfortunately, we still are at war, mm. like twenty four seven. We've got soldiers based in different ports all the way around the world. You know, men and women prepared to give their lives for mm. our lifestyle, yeah. and and Anzac Day is that one day that we can. Appreciate mm. what they've given Absolutely. for the for for our lifestyle. Have you ever been caught in your underpants, and if so, how? Uh, <laughs> us in the wrong bloke, Ralph. Um, oh fuck, I'm Which sure. Time? Yeah, exactly. Samantha, without them or in them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in them, in them. Oh, in them. Just in in your jocks. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate? It's up to you. Oh, I, I, my my boyfriend at the time thought it was hilarious. I answered the door. He'd been out on the drink, and I had just got out of the shower. Just had a G string on, <laughs> and and I and I was. You've seen the same picture as me, this morning. I was being funny, trying not to let him in. He's like, "Don't play this game, you'll lose." And I was like, hey, 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 "I'm stronger than you." He grabbed me, pulled me out into the hallway, and shut the door. I was standing there, and I couldn't get back in. He was losing it, laughing. Were you laughing as hard? I was fuming. No. I was ropeable in a nothing. Had nothing in a in an apartment block. Anyway. Hey. Um, I thought it was never possible to get locked outside your hotel room <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> First Area. night in England, I was over there with Magnus in a flat above a shop in That's Newmarket. That's a horse, by the way, Sam, Magnus. Uh, a flat above a shop in Newmarket, front door, toilet door, uh, side by side, full of pen and ink. First night, <laughs> got out of bed in the middle of the night to have a piss, went to the bathroom, had me piss. Swung round and stepped out the front door <laughs> instead of back into the hallway <laughs> and closed it behind. Not a stitch on. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those old English buildings yeah. and the door must have weighed a half a ton. I thought, I'll just kick it in yeah. and I'll pay the hundred quid tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. Broken toe. And there's another flat adjacent to us. So, <laughs> funny thing, I go downstairs, I look out the front and it's quite a busy road in Newmarket. It was early hours, must have been two in the morning. I thought, what am I going to do? And there was, you know, one of those free newspapers <laughs> that put through the slot. So I've sort of got the newspaper, and I, I saw a young couple in the flat next door, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to knock on the door and wake <laughs> them up <laughs> because they lived there permanent, and I was just a being being type. Yeah. And I'm thinking... Please let the bloke answer the door. Please let the bloke... Because if the woman comes and answers the fucking door, she's going to ring the police or something. (laughs) Thankfully, the bloke came, and he was a bit of a local handyman, so he he was able to jammy me door open. I was was in a world of pain for about 30 minutes, not knowing what to do. 
<laughs> uh, you, you're not in this one, Sam. But at the peak of your sporting powers, so let's say 2010, 2011, and you, let's say Black Caviar at her peak, what would you do differently if given a second chance? Nothing. There you go. Kate? Well, she was undefeated, Black Caviar, so it wouldn't <laughs> change much either, Ralphie, sorry. But you have said you would, you would enjoy the moment a bit more. Yeah, right? probably would have learned to enjoy it yeah. more at the time. Yeah, that's probably. I'd, 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 he enjoyed. I was going to say, I had a pretty good job of enjoying <laughs> yeah, the moment, mate. I knew when he said nothing. Yeah. He nothing. I got, I got more joy watching Winks as a racing fan than yep. I did watching my own horse, Black Caviar, because with Winks there was no pressure. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I could sit back and really enjoy her for what she is. Where Black Caviar, it was hard for me to enjoy it because of what I was going through and the fear of defeat. Yes. So, would you say that you um, still love horses? Oh, I do. Yeah. Shit, yeah. I, I love horses. I love the industry. I, I really am. Um, Unbelievably passionate. Because a lot of people, once their hobby becomes their job, it becomes a chore, and they kind of lose the love for it. Oh, yeah. You still go out for a a social ride or a yeah. Listen, I I can tonight. I'll probably knock the top off a ruckman and uh, and go for a walk down the paddock with a bunger and give the horses a pat or throw a rug on if it gets cool enough. Um, Yeah, I I, I absolutely love the animal. I really do. Good. Uh, and speaking of which, well, well mm. while you brought, brought it up, Sam, so if, if people want to race horses with mm. you, because you, you, you syndicate horses, mm. how, how would they do that? I uh, I do a bit of syndication with uh, a bloke called Wally Delzeal. Yep. Delzeal Higgins uh, syndication it used to be Wally and Roy Higgins, but Roy, we lost a few years ago. Great jockey. I, I, I um, buy Wally stock in conjunction with him and his trainers and... Uh, and we syndicate them that way. So anyone wants to have a look at Wally Delzeal's uh, website and they'll find horses there. And, and Wally and I keep a share and an interest in every horse that we purchase. So, you know, we're backing the brand, basically. And we get the odd fast one, we get the odd slow bastard, <laughs> like everyone. But, uh, what, but do you, what do you think is important for people to enjoy horse ownership? Well, that's the main thing. You, you've got to enjoy it. It's an expensive hobby. And so you've got to enjoy it. You, it, it doesn't want to be painful. <laughs> you know, you, you want to be able to go to the races, enjoy the experience, race the horses with good people, uh, be able to frock up if you want to, and and have a great experience. So uh, we we try and set it up so it's as painless as possible. We'll uh, look after all your management and, and your accounting and all that, and uh, gather in all the bills and give you one bill rather than you getting thirty or forty bills. We'll try and put you with some like-minded people to enjoy the experience. And more importantly, if the horse isn't going to offer you some sort of a return, we'll let you know so we can cut the costs and move on and find something else. But at the moment, between Victoria and New South Wales, there's over $600 million in prize money yep. on offer. So there's never been a better opportunity for potential return on your investment in racing than there has at the moment. The old saying used to be the best way to make a small fortune in racing, start with a big one. <laughs> but now, uh, yep. you know, with syndications, we've seen so many syndicated horses win races, like Red Zell won the first two Everest, oh. you know, a big syndicate horse. Uh, I think three of the last five Golden Slipper winners have been syndicated horses for 20, 30, you know, up to probably a couple hundred thousand dollars. So it's a great thing about Australian racing. You don't have to be a Russian oil baron or an Arab sheikh mm. to own the champion. Yep. You know, everyone has the possibility of owning the next Winks or the next Black Caviar through syndication. That's actually one thing that blew me away in England, that, that they couldn't believe that there's 5% of horses that you can buy and 10%. They, yeah. It is really a, a, an us and them, and they don't want the riffraff in, so to speak. Yeah, no, That's no. not the case in Australian racing. No, well, where else in the world would you find a cab driver from Queanbeyan buy a horse for $1,300 and win races all the way around the world like yeah. Joe Jenniak did with Takeover Target eight or ten years ago? 
that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. That makes our product so unique, and we want to look after that here in Australia. Sensational. So that's Wiley Dale Seals' website if you want to race one with Pete. Uh, so what would you tell your 15-year-old self? Oh, you probably wouldn't listen anyway, so what's the fucking point? <laughs> Sam? He's not worth the tears, darling. <laughs> Pete? It won't send you blind. <laughs> Do it as much as you like and whenever you like. It will not send you blind. <laughs> and that thing on the end of it will ensure your hand doesn't slip off. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. Uh, what was the best day of your life and how did you celebrate? Best day of my life. These are big questions. Oh, yeah. Give me some heavy. fucking heads up. I'm going, uh, oh, best day I don't know. Well, when the flag was good, how we celebrate, how do you reckon? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, probably. I'm sure I've had probably funner moments, but I can't really remember them off the top of my head. <laughs> Sam? Um, probably two. Probably when I got the Commonwealth Games contract. For me, that was pretty big. Yeah. It was at the top of my bucket list from a work perspective. And also meeting my nephew. I'm the oldest child and the oldest grandchild. It's been a lot of pressure on me. And there's been no kind of next generation in our family. And the fact that my little sister had a, a beautiful, healthy baby after the world's worst pregnancy, I was so proud of her. It was a real bizarre joy that I, you can't explain. And if you're a parent or an auntie or a, a grandparent, you can understand it. But that was the first time I felt this pure love and joy was meeting him. It was a special moment. Brilliant. Pete? Well, it's not fair. They, neither of these bastards are married and got children, <laughs> right? <laughs> Correct. Well, I'm not, I, I wish, don't think I so wish. anyway, Pete. Oh, I don't no. think so anyway. None with an ear <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what am I going to say? Well, my, my wedding day, uh, the day my three daughters were born, you know, everything pales in That's insignificance it. to those sort of things. Like children, uh, it's, mm. you know, twin daughters, 22, eldest daughter, 25, mate, everything pales in into significance, insignificance to, to those one day. And, and every day I've had this to spend with them since. Yeah, no. yeah. I might get a date to the races and then I might get that so moment. And right. you might give your mother a grandchild. Exactly. Yeah, I might exactly. tick off all the boxes <laughs> this week. Well, put a pair of runners on instead of those tap toe and shoes <laughs> and find some bastard and give her one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you've been fantastic. But before Sorry. we finish, I, I like this. Swanee, I know you like this. So during the Black Caviar hype, you were obviously getting terrorised, but you were fantastic. I remember with being such an ambassador for racing. But you, you had when when people were a bit rude and didn't respect what time you would go to bed as a trainer, you, you would all you would still return their calls, wouldn't you? I would, I would, and, and still did it pretty much all through my career. I uh, I live at South Belgrave, where I still live today, and it was about a thirty-five minute commute into Caulfield each morning. So anyone that rang me after about five five thirty p.m., I'd have the phone on silent. And the most messages were on the phone usually said, oh, I hope you weren't having a sleep. <laughs> so I used to, in that period when I was in the car from about 3.15 to 3.45, <laughs> driving to Caulfield in the morning and having me bunger and me smoke, <laughs> I'd return the calls. <laughs> and it's amazing the people that went into their phone <laughs> at that time of the morning. And you usually only had to do it once. For the real dumb bastards, twice. Yeah. But usually only had to do it once to say, listen, I'm, I'm off the air at 5pm. Mate, awesome of you to pop in yeah, on the way through. Thanks very much, to, uh, mate. Uh, yeah, really appreciate that. Uh, if you want to race a horse with Peter Moody, Wiley Dalziel, and of course uh, Leadbrokes is uh, your sponsor, and you can get some fantastic uh, stuff from social media there that, pe that Pete does, and you'll be part of Channel 10's Melbourne Cup Week. The great Peter Moody, the trainer of Black Caviar. Thanks, Join mate. us. Thank you for coming. Yeah, we do our own sound effects. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.